Today, I'm really excited to have Logan Underwood on the podcast. Logan is a CEO and co-founder of AdOris, a new platform that allows you to take text articles and translate it into podcast-like audio on your favorite podcasting platform. Prior to AdOris, Logan went to the University of British Columbia and got a dual degree in international business and finance. And he also went to Sciences Po in France where he got a degree in international relations and affairs. Logan is also an alumni for Next Canada, and Ad Oris was one out of eight startups to be chosen by the New Normal cohort by XX, as well as being part of the Google Startup Accelerator and Antler New York City cohort 2021. It was great to have Logan on the podcast and get to know how he's taking traditional experiences and trying to bring into a new format so it's more accessible to more people, as well as more convenient, as well as talk about the audio space in general which I think in the last three years has really exploded. So with that said, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, Logan, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Yeah, Thanks super so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm so excited to have you on and talk about AdOris. But, you know, before we get into AdOris and all the best, you know, all the great things about your startup, I like to start with the story first. So everybody has their story. And what is your story that got you into entrepreneurship? Yeah, absolutely. No, happy to share. I mean, so my background, I think, is pretty typical, honestly, of, of a lot of entrepreneurs. So I, I grew up in the States um, and actually my family were all like small business owners. So my my family um, had a bagel bakery. And so from the get go, like was just surrounded by this idea of being your own boss. And I think that kind of was really where the bug was caught in terms of considering about entrepreneurship as a viable alternative. Um, and then honestly, moved up to Canada um, in to Vancouver, along with my twin brother and my mom. Um, and the plan was to do university here during university, ended up in France for two years as part of this program um, between Sciences Po Paris and, and UBC. So um, yeah, just like a lot of new experiences, I think. And then during that time when I was coming back to UBC um, at, at studying finance at UBC Sauter, I took a gap year and was working in finance over in Toronto. And my twin brother was at U of T during that time. And one of the summers I had been working in New York at like an innovation consulting firm, my brother had been working with a couple colleagues out at U of T on a startup called Arzella that retooled um, kind of machine learning models um, and epidemiological models to understand how information spreads across um, social networks. And I was fortunate enough to be able to pitch that to the consulting firm where I was working at so Sylvain Labs. Huge shout out for even like giving us the opportunity, but they brought us on to some amazing client projects with BlackRock, WNBA, Waze Carpool. And we were suddenly using our, our platform and they were paying us and we were working with these fantastic people. Mm-hmm. And that was really this like clicking moment when I realized if you are providing value and that someone is willing to pay for and and you're really solving a pain point you can do anything like it doesn't matter how young you are it doesn't matter those barriers if you're you know constantly just putting yourself out there and so that was really 
yeah, that was the impetus to say, okay, you know what, I'm actually going to be considering entrepreneurship as a viable alternative. Cause previously, you know, I was headed down the finance track. I was, I was, I was working in capital markets at the Ontario teachers pension plan. Like that's where I thought I was going to be heading. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, yeah, that was kind of really a, a, a crucial pivot point for me. And then, um, I went into this program called next 36 and, Next 36, um, you know, is, is pretty popular here in Canada, but where effectively its thesis is that there is an aspiration gap between Canada and the U.S. Canadian university students, if you go on to campuses like U Waterloo and top campuses across the country and you ask graduates, um, you know, what do you aspire to? They're going to say things along the lines of, I want to head the robotics arm at Google. I want to lead the machine learning division at Facebook. And you go to the U.S. and you ask a similar question to top university students over there. And they will say, I want to create the next Google. I want to create the next Facebook. And so Next36 whole thesis is that they want to push young folks to try and understand and 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 dare to to take that leap into entrepreneurship to to understand that it's a viable alternative to you know management consulting or finance or or engineering and so that kind of environment and then also that social network was really what you know I think created just enough safety for me to consider you know jumping out mm-hmm. and 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 giving it a go so yeah it's, uh, it's been a lot of different instances, but um, excited to be where I am. Yeah, no, that's that's a super interesting story. I mean, you know, you jumped around a little bit all over the place, but, uh, you know, you eventually found found your place. And I think um, it's great to see the work that Next36 is doing because I feel similar sentiment, um, especially like you mentioned, like at U Waterloo, uh, because of the co-op program, every time I talk with a lot of my colleagues, you know, they want to just work in industry and, and and just go up the ladder there, which is totally fine. There's no issue with that. Uh, but definitely, like, I know how well they could succeed entrepreneurially if they created something from the, from the ground up and the amount of value that they could deliver doing that. Um, and it's sort of sad sometimes to see them not even consider that path. So to see Next36 as, as um, you know, as somebody who's trying to contribute in that space and push Canadians towards that uh, yeah. is, is definitely super inspiring. Well, I mean, even to that point, and like you mentioned, you Waterloo, I think like like the velocity accelerator out of you Waterloo, like they're they're starting you're starting to see these pockets of just really great ecosystems emerge. Um, others that I can think of for sure, like Velocity, mm-hmm. but here in Vancouver, you have League of Innovators by Ryan Holmes starting to try and build this critical mass. So the movement's definitely in the right direction, and I'm excited to see where it goes um, and excited to be a part of it really. Yeah, for sure. And I think we also see like a lot of Canadian innovators right now who who did their time in Silicon Valley and now bringing those resources and experience back to Canada. Uh, and especially in the last six years, even from the time I entered university, I've seen completely change. So I think the next six years is going to be even more of a drastic change. So super yeah. exciting stuff. Um, Definitely. I, I think what's really interesting there and uh, is that, you know, you, so you, you know, you jumped around, you, you tried the exchange program out, you went to next 36, you helped your twin brother out with his business. So, you know, like what, what was your thought process when you're pursuing these things? Is it just, you know, this looks interesting. Let me just try it. Is there, is it part of a master plan? Like how do you decide what to do next? Yeah, no, definitely. I, it's a great question. I, I think what I have 
you know, and this is all kind of post post appraisal, but I think like one of the things that I've become more aware about in terms of my decision making and now is something I very consciously use when when looking for new opportunities is I think optimizing for like speed of learning or opportunity for 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 learning. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is, you know, when I went was was going and heading out to university, this dual degree program appealed simply because I would have two years and, you know, a degree in international relations and then two years and then a second degree in finance. And that was really appealing. But then, I mean, as these opportunities have emerged, I think what I realized is that the fastest way to learn something is to just to try it yourself. Um, and that really resonated. I mean, like you mentioned, the co-op programs, like I think that's one of Canada's really hidden like secret strengths is is, is the, the the strength of its found uh, co-op programs and that for me like I was studying finance but then it wasn't until I had to go and work and that you really learn kind of ins and outs and you realize there's a large gap between the theory and the yeah. practice and <laughs> I think that same sentiment was one that then applied of like okay like I want to be entrepreneur but you know just trying to get out there and do it and and in, in my case, what that meant was in the co-op that I was at the, the that consulting firm was trying to just like get some of the partners on on coffees and describe how I thought, you know, maybe I could help with some of their their client projects. Um, and, you know, and that's the wonderful thing I think about so many of these instances is you never have a master plan, but it's just about putting yourself out there and I think trying to optimize for learning and that's where things will compound. And, you know, before you know it, you, you're, you find yourself in a startup. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, trying to optimize for learning is one of the, one of the key ones I've heard from a lot of different people. And I think that's one of the, honestly, like outside of, of course, the lucrative nature of a startup that it can become a look, come lucrative nature and being your own boss. One of the things I've really heard that drives people towards making their own startup is just a learning opportunity. Um, and you have that at a big company, but not to the same degree that you have to do at a startup. So uh, definitely that makes a lot of sense in terms of choosing what to do next. Um, but I guess, you know, sort of sort of related to that, actually. And, and, and I know, you know, this is something I grapple with. and I know a lot of startup founders grapple with this. You know, it, even though startups can be lucrative, like I mentioned, Definitely, like especially in technology, uh, you know, doing going the job route, going the corporate route is 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 very lucrative, and it's a lot more less risky. Uh, you're you're more yeah. guaranteed a certain amount of income, and and you can make a lot of good money in in the corporate route. So totally, I feel like every startup founder has to have some reason of why they stick around a startup that isn't related to money. Because if it was just money, there's a lot better ways of doing that most of the time. So what yeah. is your reason for sticking around? Like what, what, what keeps you in startups and makes you not go to the corporate route? Yeah, I think, I mean, it initially was this idea of like optimizing for learning, but I think like very quickly, I also found that like the community of people that I was, was exposed to by beginning kind of this entrepreneurial journey has just been phenomenal because you end up around people who have self-selected for maybe not going the traditional route or who, who kind of think a little bit outside of the box, have these different perspectives. But then also at the end of the day, everyone is addressing different problems, working on different businesses and they care and what carries through all of these 
um, you know, the, these folks is just this intense passion to try and beget change. And I think that is something of an addictive um, experience because it's hard to find another environment where that's so exciting because the pace of change is so quick, be it in your own startup, be it in others around you, the the appetite for just trying to like go out there and do it is really high. And so you, 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 you become, what becomes normalized is a really low threshold for action. Um, and that is something that I think moving into a corporate um, environment where, you know, a necessary aspect of a larger organization are, is more infrastructure to try and coordinate a larger group of people. But I think that that can sometimes find itself at odds with, you know, some of those elements that are common in the entrepreneurial space. And and that for me has been so far, you know, it's only, I'm still only, a, you know, a couple years into my career, but so yeah. far, I think that that is definitely going to be one of the sustaining reasons to, to stay in the space. Right. Makes sense. And um, yeah, I'm pretty young in my career too, but based on my perspective, those are pretty wise words. So <laughs> definitely, definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, let's, let's get into it. I know every entrepreneur really loves talking about what they're making, the product, the startup. So I don't want to hold back too, too much on that, but let's talk about AdRS and just to give our um, viewers some type of uh, background on it. It's basically a platform to easily convert text into pod podcasts like audio. And so if you have an article, you can, you can listen on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on your pod, native podcast app, uh, and, and, the, and the article will be converted into, into audio. And you guys recently launched a, on Product Hunt. Uh, you got fifth product of the day, which is a pretty big achievement. And yeah, I'll throw the links in the bio uh, for AdRS, and I'm sure you can explain a little bit more about the work you guys are doing and everything behind it. So uh, starting off, though, like what, what was the motivation behind AdRS, and what was that inspiration? That, that you, the team had. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, first and foremost, a great summarization of what we do. That's kind of spot on. Um, and I think where Adoris really came about was, uh, you know, I like so many other startup ideas, it started with somewhat of a personal frustration and nothing extreme, but something that suddenly felt worth digging into. And so for me, Adoris really began with I was always commuting, you know, an hour out to UBC every day and finding myself going from all of the long form articles that I had begun to read in the morning to inevitably on that commute reverting to, you know, a podcast or something in audio. And that was when I started to think, you know, every time I'm switching over to these podcasts, I, you know, I rarely come back to the articles I'm dropping off. And what's frustrating is that I already know what I want to consume. There's really great information out there in these articles, and it's just a friction of the medium. And so what I started to think of is, okay, well, if I'm experiencing this, there's got to be others that, you know, have a similar sentiment. And that was really the beginning of just beginning to ask people if they had, you know, made attempts to try and listen to written content or to content that they could otherwise read. And so really the first two questions emerged were, one, will people listen to information that they can otherwise read? And then the second one was, okay, 
answer when we answered that yes people you know given the opportunity will listen to articles that they could otherwise read question number two was okay well how good does that audio have to be and what we realized and what was quite startling is that people were willing to um, undergo an incredible amount of friction pain poor experience just to get the accessibility of the audio Right. So we came across people who were literally like highlighting the entire article and playing it through the accessibility voice on their phone as they drove to work and, you know, going through URLs being read aloud and all of ads and all of these things, the HTML in the page, all of those things just to get that audio accessibility. And so what we really began to understand is, okay, if people want this, then how are we going to create a business around this or, you know, further validate that we believe this can be a massive opportunity. And the vision that we came to is like, look, at the end of the day, th there is so much written content out there on the web being produced. And yet people day in, day out are increasingly spending more time listening than they are reading. In North America, you have on average people spending about an hour plus a day listening to spoken word content compared to about 20 minutes a day reading. And so we look at those trends and we look at then how much content is being written, uh, produced in written form. And that mismatches where we suddenly really thought, okay, you know what, there's a massive opportunity here. If all of that information that is out there and available on the web is suddenly turned into audio, the medium that more and more people are opting in to choose from, then we can both provide a lot of benefit to you and I, because suddenly, you know, we go from 20 minutes a day where it's possible to read something to the four hours a day where it's possible to listen to something. Right. But so not only the individual, but also the publication. If you're a publication creating a lot of written content, and yet people are only reading a fraction of what you produce, you benefit massively by being able to more accessibly deliver that information. And yeah, so it just came down though, I think at the end of the day to the insight that convenience really trumps all. If you can provide the, the, the same information in a more convenient way or simply give users the option, right? You have now as an individual, the optionality of either reading or listening. And that is suddenly very empowering. And right. yeah, so that was really where we began and and what became really enthralling about, about the issue and, and the space. Um, but it, it began by just that kind of individual experience and then trying to extrapolate to, okay, I think that there, you know, this is a common enough situation. And, you know, I'm uh, fortunate enough to not need audio, but what we quickly realized is be it, you know, screen fatigue, dyslexia, or even vision impairedness, like there are so many other use cases where audio is just fundamentally needed for accessing that information. And there was a, we had a fantastic mentor who told us something along the lines of, you know, accessible design is good design. And that was a revelation that came about and was really cemented when we started to work and speak with some of the communities where 
you know, they had a large population of them were vision impaired, you know, designing a system that allowed for a rich audio experience that resonated not just with this community, but with a lot more people. And so, yeah, that's, that's been, you know, one of the really rewarding and exciting things building this out. And, and like you mentioned, we've, we've just seen a lot of, uh, we've begun to see the kind of the, the fruits of our labor with uh, product hunt and we've started to, to really see some growth loops occurring across social platforms like Reddit and TikTok and the like. So yeah, it's been good. Right. right. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, um, and I think the two things that really stand out to me in that is accessibility and convenience. Uh, and first touching on accessibility, like you mentioned, the audio form for the most part is the most accessible to the most people uh, because it requires, it requires the least amount of, of like, physical attention, I guess you could say, because you can just plug in and, 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 and keep going. Um, and then in turn, and then, and then, yeah. And then like, you know, it's, you're using your hearing. So it's a, it's a met, it's a medium we use every day. It's a medium we love to use every day. And I think for most people, it's what they like to get their content through, uh, sometimes video as well, but I think audio is a primary thing in there. Um, and so definitely get, getting content that is only available from one medium and allowing it to be accessible to other people is huge. It's absolutely huge. And, and uh, even in our, even in our information heavy society today, where everything is, uh, you can get information everywhere. Uh, we still have those limitations. So breaking down those limitations is definitely huge. But yeah, that second point you mentioned there, like that convenience and that accessibility part, I think I really fundamentally believe that when you have a product that offers convenience to a huge sector of the population, the people who who also benefit from the accessibility part of it, um, they get a massive boost from that because the product isn't only geared towards them; it's also geared toward another huge part of the population. So, uh, it it really sets your product apart for success. And um, and yeah, no, I'm really excited to see the work you guys are doing and 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 how far it goes because, like you mentioned, publications need it or want it because their content is able to be shared with more people and and listen and and consumed and more opportunities. And, and people want it because yeah, audio is huge. People love audio. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, you really nailed it on the head. I think with those two elements, you know, we're, we're setting ourselves up for an exciting, an exciting opportunity here and, and, and we've begun to see it and, and it's been just really gratifying to, to hear some of the feedback coming in from, from all segments of our user base. For sure. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, going back to audio content, I, I think, uh, like in the last five years, especially, we've seen that there's been a huge resurgence in audio content or huge boom in audio content. And Clubhouse and the rise of podcasts are examples of this. I remember when I started my first podcast, the, building, uh, the Almost Dropouts podcast uh, at the time, it was like September 2019. And, and one of the reasons I started it is because there weren't a lot of podcasts out there for student internships. Um, and so at that time, I was one of maybe you know five or 10. And today... There's hundreds and, and maybe even thousands of podcasts on those topics. So we've seen audio completely, you know, uh, completely blow up in the last five years. So I guess getting your perspective on that, like, why do you think we're seeing this huge resurgence in audio content or this huge boom in audio content? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the vision and I, the best way to answer this, I think, is going back to kind of the vision that we have at Adoris, which is fundamentally kind of erasing the restrictions or frictions that a medium imposes upon information 
when information is seamlessly transferred across, be it written format to audio, you have the greatest potential for consuming and also, you know, getting the value out of that information. And so where I think and why I think audio has seen such a continued popularity or boost really to your point in the last five years is, I mean, it comes back to convenience is you have so much information out there, so much knowledge that, you know, for decades has been published in white papers and reports and in so many different iterations in, in written form. And what you're seeing in podcasting is people now with, you know, more easily accessible tools and, and, and the toolkits available for them to, to more easily create audio are starting to share a lot of that knowledge and also share the, their own experiences in, a, in what is become and what is recognized as the most accessible or convenient format. Because there's only so much time we have in a day and yet there, and, and to read, you have to dedicate yourself you know, it's this this active process. So it's constrained to only a certain segment of your day or, or a limited amount of time. And audio has that convenience of seamlessly fitting into so many more opportunities for you to, to, to read and engage with that content. And so I think with with audio and, and particularly with podcasts in general, you have that coming about. And then with podcasts, you also have this conversational element, right? Like the way that you and I are communicating right now, very different from how we would discuss the same content, but maybe distilled into essay format. Right. Our syntax would be different. Like it, there wouldn't be that same dynamic. And so I think people have really, you know, recognized and, and identified and resonated with that. And with podcasts, it's taken, you know, what radio has known for a really long time and made it more convenient, more bite size. And I think, you know, at Oris and, and what we're trying to do is really complementary towards that is, you know, there will never be replaced, you know, human conversation, but there will be in tandem with that, the ability to listen to all of that written content that is out there as well. And I think that when you have suddenly a one-to-one -one ratio between writ what is in written form and what is in audio, you suddenly get a lot more flexibility and opportunity to, to, to get creative around how you meld and, and share information. And that's what gets me excited around what we're doing is when we achieve that future state of everything that is in written format is in audio, there become so many more opportunities for how we can mix and match and meld and create really engaging experiences that people consume and 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 can can learn from. Right, right, yeah, for sure. No, I think uh, that makes a lot of sense and um, super exciting. Yeah, super exciting to see, um, you know, how far we go with audio. I, I think you know we've only seen a boom in the last five years, but I think we're going to see it even go even further. So you know, there's going to be more podcasts, probably more applications like Clubhouse coming up. I know Twitter Spaces. Uh, you know, sort of clone there, but I'm sure there'll be more unique ways that people are making audio content. And yeah, super exciting to see. Um, but talking about the product itself now, I'm transitioning a little bit. You know, yeah. I, I tried it out. 
it was great. You know, I, I threw an article in there and, and it, it was super cool. And I, I think, you know, one of the biggest gripes I've had with text-to-speech, at least today, and I know, you know, there's huge developments in AI happening every day, so this is changing, but especially today is just, you know, computer-generated audio doesn't seem very natural, especially when it's reading back to me. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm one who tends to, especially in a podcast format or in, in a narrative format like this, I like to have more of a natural tone. Like I think like most people are human natural tone. And so one of the things that was really interesting about your product is, is, is a lot of the times when I, when it was reading back to me, it had that natural tone, you know, it was pausing properly in periods. It, it was, it was reading it out sort of like a human would. So I was just wondering like, what was the thought process behind that? And how are you guys achieving that? That it was super impressive. Yeah, no, uh, first off, uh, thanks. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that that was your experience. Um, and yeah, it's it's been one of the key kind of focal points for our product. I mentioned that early on, we identified, you know, people were willing to forego a certain level of quality just for that accessibility. But one of the things that we've obsessed over at Adoris is, you know, in order to become a product that's not just niche, and that truly is something for everyone and, and, and part of that infrastructure by which what is written becomes um, available in audio, it has to be really engaging and, and really listenable. And so how we've gone about that and how we, we think about the space is, you know, you have synthetically generated, computer generated speech models that are increasing in quality and really in prevalence as well. And so where we think of ourselves as being situated for innovation is sitting atop those various models because as those approve those improve we can you know harness those models but where we concentrate and really are beginning to have our innovation stand out is in the text ingestion part of it so say when you copy and paste an article what we're doing is we're taking all of the text content we're extracting it, we're analyzing it. So we're doing things like sentiment analysis, keyword extraction, starting to develop a contextual understanding of what it is that is being generated into audio. Right. And that is really important because what that allows us to do is layer in elements like speech synthesis markup language, which is an annotation language that we apply to you know the raw text that allows us to begin to identify, you know, pause here emphasis there, those same attributes of natural language that, you know, you and I do unconsciously as we speak, we can begin to emulate and incorporate that so that when then the text goes and is read by the model, the combination of what we've done and the improved model suddenly has this really powerful voiceover. And, you know, just a little bit of a sneak peek about what we're, we get excited to and where we see the future of audio going is it doesn't have to start there, stop there, rather. If you think to a podcast like Masters of Scale by Reid Hoffman, there are 18 people behind the scenes doing everything from the mixing and mastering, the you know script writing, the musical uh, tones, the intro, the voiceover. And so what we have today is the voiceover, but where we're going is, you know, not just taking the, the, the verbatim text from the article, but we can start to begin to alter, you know, the syntax, make the, the sentences shorter, or maybe 
you know, include two speakers. So it's more of a conversation rather than what's called a voice of God reading. Right. And by doing that, you know, the, the, the academic literature kind of supports is you begin to, like the retention for when it's a conversation um, based audio much higher. Right. And then can we begin to use that contextual understanding of what is being narrated that we've developed to start to do things like put in musical intonations or, or spacing sound effects to begin to actually create a richer and richer experience. That's mm -hmm. where, you know, we're headed and that's what, you know, that plat our platform is going to enable is end to end audio production. And the reason that we're able to do that is because we have audio that is AI generated from the get-go. So our iteration loop and our feedback loop is really tight because once that audio is out there and distributed, say on a publication like Harvard Magazine or Dezine out in the UK, we're having thousands of people listen to that and interact with that. Well, you know, those are all feedback loops. That progression bar is a feedback for us to then, you know, begin to manipulate and play with that audio to understand exactly how we can create the most engaging audio experience possible. And that's only possible because we're using, you know, starting from a pure play in terms of computer generated audio. If we had, you know, a, a person in the recording room, be very hard to re-record or bring in another person to, you know, create those types of changes that we're beginning to create. And so, yeah, that's, that's how we've begun to differentiate ourselves in terms of that audio that you're hearing is, is that speech synthesis markup language and, 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 and beginning to, to use multiple voices. But this is really only the, you know, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's possible. And that gets me really excited. Right, for sure. And I think um, a good way I, you know, I, I think about it at least is like audiobooks. You know, audiobooks are huge today because people love re listening to the prepared books, love having people who, you know, multiple voices who are voicing the characters, love having some sound effects in the background, love having all of that. And if yeah. you can translate that experience into an article format, uh, pretend like there's an interview with LeBron James or something like that about basketball, right? Like, an, and, and if you just have, those voices present there with the sound effects, it would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and yeah, like that accessibility conversation, convenience co uh, conversation is there, of course. But not only that, you're also elevating the content to another level that you can't necessarily get in the text. Um, totally. So definitely, I, I, I think that's super exciting to hear and, um, well, and a lot of I potential. Mean, yeah. Even building off of what you're mentioning, right? Like, if you suddenly have multiple articles, say, uh, you know, it's playoffs and, and, and the Lakers aren't doing so well, or they're, you know, what you can do is begin to actually take in, you know, articles on a similar topic and the text ingestion then can be about taking from different perspectives, maybe, or different articles. And because that end to end audio is all kind of vertically integrated, on our platform, you can start to get really creative and pull from multiple sources, create a end audio, you know, piece that is the, the composite of multiple sources of articles. And that's something that, you know, when I, when I talk about like the end state whereby everything that is written is into audio, 
the advantage of how we're approaching it is that it's very easy for us to take from one piece, turn it into audio and seamlessly meld that with another perspective or another article's audio, because it's all being done kind of within our system. So right. yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I, I just think the, the, the possibilities are endless and it, it just gets me excited just how, like a good analogy is really like the advent of the camera didn't kill cinema. Like the fact, the idea that you or I have a home camera doesn't mean that we are going to go out and win the Oscar for, you know, best production, right? Yeah. Similarly, having a, like a, 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 the ability to create a voiceover or an audio piece of written content does not mean or exclude the opportunity for a much richer experience. And that's what we're after. And that's what we're building the infrastructure to go out and do. Um, right. And we have all of the source material being generated every day, right? There are millions of articles and topics out there being published. And we want to bring that audio level of audio and that degree of fidelity to all of it. Yeah, hundred percent. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, yeah, I mean, there's sometimes you still want the text interface, right? It, it, there's a reason why no matter what we're still, you know, voice interfaces haven't taken over. We're not just using Siri to do everything, right? Totally. Uh, we, we were using, you know, we were using text and, and our hands and, and interacting with the machine for a reason because that's still very convenient. But having the option, like you mentioned there, is huge. Um, and then, yeah, there's, there's, but, and there's also like different um, benefits that the audio, audio medium can provide. Like you mentioned there, like if you just summarize all these different texts and then you have each speaker sort of telling you the summary of what they think about a certain event, that could be a really cool thing to have in audio. It would be cool in text as well, but it'd be very cool in audio. So yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool things on the horizon and a lot of opportunities to grow and, and, and to grow the product and grow the brand. Um, and that sort of transitions actually to my to my next question I was going to ask you. So yeah. you know, it seems like AdRs has now come up with its first product. You guys have done some validation there. It's trying to get a little bit of traction, trying trying to get, you know, it's trying to get a little bit more customers. I, I assume you're trying to go for some partnerships. So I think I just want to get your thoughts when it when it comes to growing the platform and growing the company. What is you know some of your strategies there? And what are your what is your thought process behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the the our approaches that is perhaps a little unique from um, you know other say just pure play like text to speech you know be it an API or what else is out there um, is we've taken kind of a two sided marketplace approach in that when we started we took a stance that the best way to disseminate our, our, our product and get it out there was to go out and work with publications. So we mm -hmm. actually began by working with publications and tremendous shout out to some of the teams that were, you know, really open to, 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 to innovating and experimenting with us, like the conversation Canada. But what we found is by working with publications and we've begun to, you know, build up a roster of these publications. So we're, we're approaching 200 plus. Um, what we found is, you know, they will partner with us. We're generating all of their content into audio. And as soon as they publish an article, we, we're, we're generating the audio version in seconds. An audio player there appears right there on the page. And so for all of their readership, suddenly we have top of page, top of presence. 
And that's tremendous exposure for us. What we found is that that actually then becomes a really good funnel for us for how individuals come across our platform and understand that there is actually a user-facing platform that they can use all by themselves separate of that publication. So right. you start to have, you know, through this, our B2B partnerships, the exposure of, and, and creating that top of funnel for individuals who are coming across our audio platform, realizing, hey, for the 20 other tabs I have open, this is something that would be fantastic, clicking in, creating an account and beginning to use. Um, and so that's where what we see is kind of as our publication partnerships grow, you know, that's having a positive impact on our user base on the individual side. And the more individuals we have in the ecosystem, you know, we can get really experimental with how do we, you know, suggest content or do we show them, you know, here's a lot of the other stuff that other people are creating audio versions of. Take a listen to this. Right. Here are some of these partner publications. Take a listen to this. And so you're starting to see this kind of positive feedback loop. And, and that's a focus um, of ours in the next six months is really just beginning and continuing to foster that. Um, that said, what we've also found really interesting on the individual facing side is simply that there are segments of folks, be it in specific professions or geographies, that really, really resonate strongly with the value proposition today. And so to give you an example, what we found is actually, and in, um, we have a number of publications that are in uh, throughout Mexico and Latin America. And what we found is they were really eager to offer audio because some of their audiences, um, you know, it, it was very fundamental from an accessibility standpoint. So people were calling into those publications beforehand asking for the content to be read to them. And so when they found our, our solution, that was kind of a match made in heaven. But what we've seen is that in, in geographies like some of those in Latin America, where radio is very prominent and mobile is you know by far the, the way of consuming media, it's a lot harder to read on mobile than it is on desktop. And so you right. see a really high saliency with what we've built already. Mm -hmm. And so part of our growth strategy is you know having identified this short list of starting niches is to just begin to seed that and really help those communities grow and we have kind of a unique product in that it is a horizontal product so it you know everyone reads content everyone at one point or another could benefit from having audio access audio versions of that written content but the question that always is kind of top of mind for us is like where do we start where do we grow and then kind of, you know, build out from there. And so that prioritization of this segment has been really important for us. And that's the, the kind of experimentation and the process that we're undergoing right now, you know, building more general awareness, like the product hunt launches and launching on Reddit and indie hackers and those platforms is fantastic. But what we've begun to really, you know, narrow in is that ICP of, of that initial segment and, and build right. the, those communities out for sure yeah and that makes a lot of sense i think having working publications i think are obviously huge because that convenience factor like you mentioned and accessibility factor if it's on the content itself it's obviously a lot easier just to press play and, and, and it's already there um but seeing that funnel towards your b2c product 
um, you know, is, is huge because, you know, you fall, go down that path, you realize that it's not only this content, it's anything on the web. Um, and, and the possibilities are really endless. And I think it also pushes more partners to, to join your platform. So yeah. it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, yeah, targeting different markets, like you mentioned, like LATAM, it might, you know, be more, uh, even, even though America is very prone to audio content, they might be even more so on the, on that, on that you know, trajectory. Um, that's, that's a very smart way of going about it too. So it's really exciting to see, uh, you know, where you guys go. And, um, and yeah, really excited to see the future of ad ours, but, um, yeah, thank you so much, Logan, for coming onto the podcast. It's been great before I let you go. I have two questions. Um, the first one is, and this is a little bit ironic given the product, but, uh, what is the book you, you recommend us reading, or I guess in your case, listening, <laughs> listening to <laughs> no, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, there, there's <laughs> nothing I can replace, I think, you know, sitting down and reading and, you know, that's actually one of the things that we found is actually the best the highest retention highest engagement with material comes when you're reading and listening and that's mm. something that we did not think of but we've heard from like teachers and folks around that use case so definitely suggest reading this book but also listening to it maybe at the same time um okay. for me like i i think uh it's it, it's an older one it's like from 2007 black swan by Nassim Taleb. Um, and it's interesting, I think, you know, his tone in the book is quite, it can be quite uh, brash or he's very opinionated individual. But what is really interesting about his approach is, I think, getting you to think in like non-linearities. And I think that's kind of the name of the game for entrepreneurship is realizing that, you know, a, a, a venture, and particularly if you want to become a, a VC-backed startup, it's about swinging for the fences. Um, and, and your job is to try and really think as audaciously as you can and, and, and really move the needle in terms of what is possible. And I think, um, in that book really delves into, you know, how to, or just the mindset of thinking about setting yourself up for non how to benefit from nonlinear events and, and, you know, fortuitous, fortuitous uh, circumstance. So even so far as the idea of like, you know, you want to set yourself up for, for a fundraise, just go out and be as social as possible and try and put yourself in as many, you know, circumstances where you can perhaps meet and by just happen chance have a beneficial interaction. And I think like, and that's a example of kind of a positive, you're strengthened by randomness in that, that scenario. And so I think, yeah, it's a really great book. I mean, it it can get quite technical, but also coming from my background of having you know capital markets and helping trade options and whatnot, and it was it, it was a fun kind of bridge between the, the entrepreneurial and the finance. So really loved it, um, and I think it's just yeah, it's very uh, thought provoking for sure. Okay, well, I'll definitely check it out. Um, you know, even though it's 2007, that's not that long ago. And uh, <laughs> obviously the classics are always good. And I guess 2007 is now a classic book. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure to give it give it a read or give it a listen, like you mentioned. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's it's super interesting. Like like you, you sort of mentioned this, mentioned this, that the book touches on putting yourself in the right position and just trying to meet the right people and, and setting yourself up for opportunities. And I think especially in today's date, you know, with everything that happened in the pandemic and, 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 and just, you know, everybody being sort of available now digitally, I think there's not been a better time for that. 
Um, really? So I think that message rings true even more so today. And it's probably a great book to read. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, case in point is is the fact that we're able to have this conversation. And I think, you know, that's something that's normalized very much by the pandemic. And yeah, you just, if you accept that you don't know kind of the future, then you're always looking for ways where you can benefit from the unexpected or from that randomness. And so I think startups are a great example of, 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 of kind of that mindset taken to a little bit of an extreme, but yeah. Sounds good. Well, last question I have, and this is, I guess, the most straightforward question in the podcast, but uh, what are the next steps for you and AdOris? What can we look forward to? You know what, for AdOris, we're, you know, we're heads down building for the next couple months, but we're, we're getting ready um, to go out and raise our seed round. So yeah, we were fortunate enough to be able to raise from a great group of folks um, last year. And I think like just on the traction and the learnings, we're gearing up for a fundraise. So that's definitely going to be the next step. So I'm going to be pretty busy here in the next little while starting to, to get ready for that and, and, and really just communicate and help share with the world you know, more of what we've been able to achieve and where we're going. So um, that that's the immediate future. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of continue to ride the wave. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm no VC, but you know, just based on this conversation, I think you guys have a great team and a good foundation. So, I would invest in you guys a seed round. So, if anybody's interested, you know, feel free to reach out to Logan. I'm sure you guys can have a great conversation. But uh, yeah, I, I think that'll go pretty well for you guys. But hopefully, at least. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. And I mean, on that point, you know, we're always looking to have like, you know, I'm personally always trying to have calls with our users, and so if anyone, you know who happens to see this also, you know, checks out our platform and, you know, it's free to use, always happy to hop on calls and, and, and collaborate and really just push for how can we create an even better experience. For sure. Yeah. And I'll throw the links in the bio, but thank you so much, everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Logan, for coming onto the podcast until the next one. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much.